experienced, what our hearts have been made to feel. It's good to be in His presence, isn't it? He's always with us. He's always near us. But I appreciate when He manifests Himself. It speaks to our hearts. I want you to look with me in the Gospel of John chapter 5. The Gospel of John chapter number 5. Read a few verses in you here and then try to give you what's on my heart. John chapter number 5. I'll begin reading in verse number 31. Our Lord said, If I bear witness of Myself, My witness is not true. There is another that beareth witness of Me. And I know that the witness which He witnesseth of Me is true. You sent unto John, and he bare witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony from man. But these things I say that ye might be saved. He was a burning and a shining light. Ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish... The same works that I do bear witness of me, and the Father hath sent me. And the Father Himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard His voice at any time, nor seen His shape. Ye have not His word abiding in you. For whom He hath sent, Him ye believe not. Search the Scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And you will not come to me that you might have life. Thank you. You can be seated. Trust the Spirit of the Lord will add the blessing to the reading of His Word this morning. Verse number 40 has been on my mind and heart for the last few days. Where Jesus says, and you will not come to me that you might have life. Life. You will not come to me that you might have life. In other words, they have not believed upon him, they have not received him. And because they have not come to him and believed upon him and received him, they do not have life. As a result, I guess the only logical conclusion that you could make is that these people to whom he's addressing, and really it's not just limited to them, it applies to this congregation this morning for everybody that's outside of Christ, for those who are strangers to His grace, that if you have not come to Him and believed upon Him, you have not life, and that must mean that you're dead. It's a logical conclusion that we can make from the text this morning, right? Jesus, I, I really have grown to appreciate this chapter and love this chapter in preaching through the Gospel of John because Jesus in chapter number 5, really picks his own fight. And he does it by saving a boy, by healing a boy. That had been laying beside a pool that at a certain season an angel would come down and trouble the waters. You remember the story, and of course, you read different folks that comment upon that story and say, well, it really doesn't fit in the Word of God. It, it's, a, it's a later addition by some scribe or by some by someone that perverted the Scripture. But I... I believe this morning, just kind of foolish, you know, that I have a perfect Bible. 
And I have a preserved Bible. And when God said that there was a pool, that an angel would come down at a certain season and trouble the waters, and whosoever was first into the pool was healed of whatsoever infirmity that they have, I, I really don't have any scientific or theological explanation for that. That's just what happened. That's what God made, and that's how God created it, and that's what would occur. There was a certain man that had been laying by that pool for a long time. You're familiar with him. Jesus comes directly to him. Now there's a great multitude of folks that are laying by this pool, but for some reason Jesus bypasses them, and on this particular day chooses this man that had been infirm for 38 years. Comes to him and asks him the question, Wilt thou be made whole? The man answers honestly. He says, well, I would like to, but every time the water gets stirred, every time the pool is troubled, I have no man to help me into the pool. When I'm on my way, when I'm coming, somebody comes before me and they get healed and all the virtue of the pool goes out. But Jesus is really not wanting this man's comment upon the pool. And He's really not wanting His comment upon His condition. He asked him the question, Will you be made whole? He answered with his understanding, but Jesus said, Well, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And the Bible said, immediately he received strength. And the Bible said that he was made whole from that very hour. Well, this didn't sit well with the religious folks of his day, with the Pharisees and the Jews. Because the Bible said, here's the accusation. The reason that they were upset, the reason that they were stirred up because of this healing of this man was because it was done on the Sabbath day. Well, they come to him and they got this young man. They cornered him up. They said, who did you say or who said to you to be made whole? Who told you to rise up and take up your bed? Don't you know it's the Sabbath day? Well, he went and found out who it was and they went back and they found Jesus. Really, we find that Jesus healed this boy because of the boy's condition to help the boy, but also to kind of pick a fight with these Pharisees to begin the struggle, to begin the conflict that would immediately or that would ultimately lead to his crucifixion. They came to him and said, why are you doing this? He said, because that's what my father does. I don't do anything myself. I, I don't work of myself. I see my father do and as I see Him do, that's what I do as well. Well, as if it was not enough for Him to kind of pick a fight with them for healing on the Sabbath day, then He went a step further and said that God was His Father. And that really did not sit well with them. Because they said, if God is your Father, then you're making yourself one with Him. Amen. That's exactly right. And so this whole discourse through this chapter is Jesus defending who He is and what He is doing. And in doing this, He really exposes the reason that they don't believe upon Him. He gives them the evidence of the works. Nobody has done the works that Jesus has done. They are the works of the Father. And they are the works that God has sent Him to do. And also on top of the works, there is an abundance of witnesses that witness to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. There was John the Baptist. There are the works that He does. They testify to who He is. There is God the Father who on the day of His baptism, my friend dispatched the Holy Spirit from heaven in the bodily form of a dove and lit upon Christ and His voice broke through the clouds and said, This is my beloved Son 
in whom I am well pleased. These things uh, witness to who Jesus is. And then on top of that, he said the scriptures that you have so much confidence in. In verse 39, search them. For in them you think that you have eternal life. And they are they which do not really ultimately testify of Abraham or Moses, these men that you have confidence in. But the scriptures that you have so much trust and confidence in, they testify of me. Every page, every story, every parable, every psalm, every historical event that's recorded for us in the Word of God. My friend points to the Lamb of God, the Son of God. And Jesus says that you will not come to me even though all the works are added up and all the witnesses are added up. You will not come to me that you might have life. And really in diagnosing their condition, I believe He gives the reason for every individual who does not immediately run to Christ this morning as we proclaim the gospel, as we say He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. As we give mountains and mountains of witnesses. I remember shortly after I started preaching, I read a book called More Than a Carpenter. And some of you probably have read it. It's one of the first books that I ever read. I didn't know. I was raised up in the backwoods of Alabama. And Brother Dale, I didn't know that they wrote books about the Bible. I'm being honest with you. My daddy had a fifth grade education and my mom would have to read the text to him. My friend on Saturday nights, he would say, he would say, honey, I've got this on my heart. And she'd get the concordance and, and then she would find what daddy was getting at. And she'd read different verses of scripture. And daddy would say, that's the one right there. And she'd read it to him over and over and over until he basically memorized it. And then he'd get up on Sunday morning and he would preach. And then when I started preaching, he gave me his library, which was a fourth edition, edition Thompson chain reference and a Gruden's concordance. And that's what I started out with. And I started reading that concordance like it was a commentary. And then somebody gave me a Matthew Henry. And I began to consume that. And I found out that there's these all kind of these books out there that folks had wrote about the Bible. Now none of them was good as the Bible. I'll give you that. But they helped me. And they encouraged me. And they taught me a lot of different things. Well somebody gave me a book called More Than a Carpenter. And in it was the story of a man who did not believe. But then he began to survey the evidence. And he began to look at all the historical evidence. My friend of the existence of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And ultimately he said he came to faith. Well I want to say this. These men had all the evidence in the world. They had all of the witnesses. They had the works of Jesus that they beheld with their own eyes. They heard His Word. They saw His works. They saw Him do things that no man had ever been able to do. But in spite of the pile of evidence, Jesus said, You will not come to Me that you might have life. It's a truth this morning that men and women and boys and girls do not come to Jesus because of a lack of evidence. They do not come to Jesus because they're in chains of their sin and they're dead in trespasses and in sin this morning. And unless the great Spirit of God makes them alive through the truth, they'll never come to Jesus Christ. I believe that this morning. They are dead. I went to bed early last Sunday night. Then I got up early on Monday and began my drive to Tulsa, Oklahoma. 
And I flipped on the, the news and began to listen. And much to my surprise, they began to talk about a mass shooting. You probably heard about it out in Las Vegas. Of course, the way they celebrate depravity out there, seems like they'd rejoice over that kind of stuff. But they were in all arms, you know, in all kind of chaos going on. And they immediately began to seek for a motive. Why would somebody do something such as that? We need to understand. And they began to, they began to diagnose the problem of mankind from, from all these different various viewpoints. Anthropological and psychological and society. This guy was probably oppressed, you know. They began to say he was probably... He was probably twisted in his mind by, by some bad experience that he had as a child. Now I'm not discounting all those things this morning, but listen, the problem of mankind is not an anthropological one. And it's not a societal, it's a theological problem. And it's an answer that can only be given from the Word of God. Men are as they are because they are dead in trespasses and in sins this morning. To what degree does the Bible teach that men are dead? I want to give you... Three things and I'll be done. I'll close in just a minute. To what degree does the Bible say that man or men are dead? Well, first of all, it says that they are legally dead. It teaches that men are legally dead this morning. When man was created in the image of his Maker, when God scooped up the dust of this earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul, when God created him in that state, He created him in untried innocence, put him in the Garden of Eden and gave him everything that he needed for life and for happiness and of course to commune and fellowship with the Father. He had one commandment to keep. He had only one law to obey. I remember somebody came to my house one time and, and they were interested in getting me saved. I was sitting on my front porch, Brother Larry, and I was wearing some overalls because I'd been working in the little garden that we had in the backyard. And I didn't look like no preacher and and I saw who they were and I immediately was able to tell who they were so I acted like I didn't know anything, you know. That's probably not right, but it's what I did. And I acted like I'd never read the Bible and some just hayseed, you know, redneck and we began to talk and we went through a lot of different things and I would hear what they'd say and I said, well, I heard a preacher say one time that the Bible says this and that. Is that what it says? Well, yes, but uh, that's not what it means. Well, we got down to the end of the discussion and they said, uh, well... I said, I want to be saved. I said, I want to escape wrath to come. I want to be right with God. I said, tell me what have I got to do? They said, well, you need to believe upon Jesus and you need to keep the commandments. I said, which one? They said, well, the ten, of course. I said, well, somebody told me at one time in the Bible there's at least 613 commandments that they were given. I said, which ones do I need to keep? Just those ten by themselves? They said, yes, that'll encapsulate the law and if you do those things, then you'll be made righteous. You'll be justified. I said, well, it seems like I can remember from my Sunday school education that our first parents, Adam and Eve, had one law to keep. They had one commandment to obey. That of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they should not eat it. For in the day that they did, they shall die. I said, man failed miserably keeping one. I said, you better throw away that literature you've got and call upon the name of Jesus. You ain't never kept the commandments a day in your life. You ain't never observed the law of God to the full extent to which it was intended. But I said, Jesus did. And if you'll call upon Him, He'll save you by His grace. But God meant business, did He not? 
when He said in the day that you eat, you shall surely die. Amen. And when they partake, partook of the fruit, their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. And sure enough, they died immediately. It tells you that there's something worse than physical death. What's worse than physical death? Well, in the eyes of God, legal death is worse. They were declared dead. The sentence was passed upon them. They had disobeyed the commandment of God. They had offended His holiness. Right? And a pronouncement of death was recorded against them that day. Because of Adam's choice in the garden, he was declared dead. And guess what? His descendants are also declared dead as well. From the moment they take their first breath in this world, they're shrouded in the death that they inherit from their parents. Even though the execution has not been carried out yet. Even though the sentence of my friend has not been of my friend carried out against them. Even though they breathe air. Even though they walk upon this earth. And they have eyes that can see. And they have ears that can hear. They have legs that can walk. And hands that can touch. Listen to me. There's a sentence of death that's pronounced on them. And they are dead men, women, boys and girls walking around upon this earth. They're dead. The courts of God and God's economy, they're dead. They're pronounced so. When a man's pronounced condemned in our society, he loses all rights. He loses all freedoms. When he's ruled condemned, even though the execution's not been carried out yet, he can't transact business. Amen? He can't inherit. He can't bequeath. If there's an issue that's facing society and they want to vote on it, they don't ask for his say-so. He's put in a prison somewhere, shackled, and is awaiting the day of his execution. That's exactly your condition here this morning if you're not saved. Oh, Chris, I'm doing fine. I'm okay. In fact, I'm so okay, I'm moral. I, I'm, I'm a good church-going individual. But if you don't know the Son, you don't have life. And if you don't have life, you're shrouded in death. And you may be okay now, but there's a cloud that's hanging over you. And it's the condemnation of God. He that has not believed upon the Son is condemned already. Christ didn't come in the world to condemn the world. He came in the world that the world might be saved. But there is a present cloud of condemnation that hangs over every sinner that's outside of Jesus Christ awaiting the judgment of God to drop down upon them. So I said, I feel okay. Yeah, but you're not okay. Right? You're dead. You're legally dead. In the sight of God, you have no voice. You can't walk in the presence of God in your current condition and command what you... I get sick of that. I don't know if any of you other preachers experience that, but with, with some of the folks that I pastor, it seems like they can just command God and tell God what to do and how to do and when to do. And... Huh? Well, preacher, I know that's what the Bible says. But I just kind of feel like, you know, God's okay with it. I was, I was talking with a young man and a young lady the other day. And uh, they started coming to our church. Of course, they say they're saved. But they've been shacked up for a long time. 
And I talked to him and I said, now, look here. I said, I know the girl. I said, you was raised better than that. You know that Bible teaches against that. She said, yeah, but she said, I've talked to God about it and everything seems to be okay between me and Him. I said, well, perception's not always reality. You think everything's okay because the bills are paid and the cupboards are full? And you think everything's okay because you're happy-go-lucky and feel good. But there's a cloud hanging over you, ma'am. Huh? And it's called condemnation. You're legally dead in the sight of God. God don't negotiate with sinners. God don't bargain with sinners. He will not negotiate His righteousness. He will not mitigate His holiness. Sinners are dead in trespasses and in sins. And it's time we start declaring to them that they are such. Because the only hope that a legally dead sinner has is that the judge of all the earth will declare them right and the only way he'll do it is through his son this morning. Amen. It's a legal matter. Ain't a feelings matter. Huh? Ain't about how you feel. Ain't about how good you think you are. You've got a legal problem. And the judge is right. He's never missed anything. Huh? Oh, Chris, I'm all right. Yeah, but see, there's one higher than me that judges you that knows everything about you. And he knows, and you know as well, and he knows how rotten you are. And he knows what you try to hide. And he knows even though you put on this, this facade of righteousness and this American Christianity that thinks, my friend, that it's all about what you... and I mean, it's like that old song. I, I don't know who the author is, but it's like that old song that I've heard before that me and Jesus got a good thing going. That's a bunch of mess. huh? His Word is right. His Word is true. And His Word says that sinners that are apart from Christ that don't know Him in the forgiveness of sin have been declared dead and the sentence will be carried out one of these days and you can't negotiate and get yourself out of it. The judge won't be bought. The judge won't be coerced. He won't be confused. He knows the law because he wrote it. And unlike our judges, our judges are, are, in our society are mostly guilty of the very things that they condemn men for. And the law that they uphold in our legal system is not an expression of their character. And it's not an expression of their nature. Thieves every day condemn thieves in our society. Rapists every day condemn rapists in our society. Adulterers and fornicators and drunkards and dope addicts. Amen. Every day condemn folks for the very same things that they're guilty of. But the judge with whom you have to do, the law by which he examines you is the perfect expression of his character and of his nature. He's the bar. He's the standard. He's the one that you must meet up to. He's the one that must be satisfied. And listen, beloved, you'll never get there by yourself. That's why the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God.
God with all the righteousness that you can muster, with all the good deeds that you can muster, with all the good that you can do and all the good that you can say, you still fall short of the line that you must meet in order to be declared righteous by the judge of the universe. You're dead. Legally dead. You're spiritually dead. Now legally dead is what God declared about Adam. I don't know. I, I know from, from one moment to the next, Adam was consciously aware something had taken place. I mean, that's, that much is evident to me in the Scripture. I don't know. Man, why do we speculate so much about what's not in the Bible? Somebody says they were walking around with this glory cloud around. Well, they might have. I don't know. The Bible don't say anything about it. They could just be walking around naked. That's kind of what it says, you know. And because there was no sin, they had no consciousness that that was a shame. I know most folks get their kids saved by the time they're five. My boy's five. And he ain't got no clue about the things of God. No clue. Brother Larry, that boy still to this day, as soon as we get home, will run to his room. He, he finds himself a wrestler. And he'll, he'll take his shirt off and rip. it don't matter who's in the house, he'll come running through there. And I'll say, boy, get in there and put your... And he'll be doing it without me knowing it. Get in there and put your clothes on. He don't know. Here the other day, I went back to a church I used to pastor and was performing a wedding. And uh, we went in the church office because I'd left some things there. And uh, he went with me. And I was gathering my things up. We come out and he said, hey dad. He said, that pulpit, he said, you used to preach there a lot, didn't you? I said, yeah buddy, I did. He said, why don't you preach there anymore? I said, because I'm preaching somewhere else. He said, one of these days I'm going to preach in a pulpit like that. Amen. I said, really? He said, oh yeah. He said, I want to. I said, well you know you've got to be converted and saved first. He said, what's that? I said, you've got to be born again. You've got to be saved by God's grace. I said, you still want to be a preacher? He said, never mind. That's what he said. He don't know. He don't know. But God's declared it. And Adam didn't know until something had changed and then God declared But then he became aware of it. And he was aware that, that death and sin was not only something God had declared, something had happened in him. Spiritual death is what happens in us. It's really what we're born into. We come to the knowledge of it. Just like when a body dies, the blood doesn't flow, there's no more pulse, the eyes can't see, the ears can't hear, the body is completely void of life. That's the kind of spiritual life that you're born into. You're actually born into spiritual death. That doesn't mean man can't be moral. Certainly he can. But his morality will never make him righteous. That doesn't mean man can't be religious. Certainly he can. He's very good at that. In fact, he'd rather be religious than regenerated. I mean, it's, it's a lot easier, you know. It's a lot easier to, to confine God to a set of orthodox rules and things that you have to, you know, follow. I mean, that's really easy to do. Just do this, do that, do this, do that. 
and you'll be okay. But Jesus says you must be born again. And Nicodemus was right. How am I going to do that? You can't do that. That's got to be done for you. He's spiritually dead. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them. He can know a lot about the Bible, but he can't understand anything. He can't perceive anything. His faculties have been absolutely ruined. Huh? He has no spiritual understanding whatsoever. He has no life in God. There's not just a little flicker that we need to inflame with all of our good intentions at the church. No, the fire is gone. And He's dead and He must be made alive. That's why salvation is not... Again, I know. I I guess maybe I ought to catch up with the times or something like that. No, I just, I just can't, I just can't bring myself in good conscience with the God that I love and the God that I want to serve, and the and the God of the Bible. I just can't bring myself in good conscience to walk up to a sinner with a set of propositions and say, "Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this?" Uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. Well, okay, God bless you, son. You're safe. I can't do that. Can't do that. The natural man can nod his head and agree to a set of facts, but don't have life. He's spiritually dead. Look at what that says. You will not come to me. There's a matter of the will. The intellect can be touched. And the intellect can be persuaded of the things of God. The emotions can be touched. And emotions are very powerful things. But until a man's will is affected by the things of God and the Spirit of God, he will not come no matter how much he understands, no matter how much he feels, until there is a will that's worked in him by the Spirit of God to do of his good pleasure, he will remain in his death. Is that not so? You can label me if you want to. I really don't care. That's what's taught right here in the Bible. Sickens me. It sickens me. And all these so-called old-time way, old-path evangelists that are throwing up their tents and having their big meetings and getting thousands saved. Somebody said, Chris, you shouldn't say that. I've said it to them. I've said it to them. Wanted to come to our area, and one of them came to me and said, Will you participate? And I said, No, I will not per- participate. Why not? Because they pervert the gospel. They pervert the gospel. Oh, they preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes, they do it in fact, but they deny the power thereof. They deny the power of that message to resurrect a man from his deadness and his coldness and make him alive toward God. And I'm telling you, when that happens, you won't have to have a search committee to find them. You won't have to beg them to read their Bible. You won't have to make them come to church. They'll be alive. And they'll want to get out of the tombstones that they live in and gather with the people of God who have been made alive by a lively hope, who worship a living God, who read a living book, and have a living spirit living in them. Amen. 
Brethren, what are we doing? We're prostituting the gospel for an emotional response amongst people. That's shallow. God help us. I know I'm just 36. I know that. I know that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't convert it and set a flame during the days of revival. Brother Larry, God called me to preach out of a shirt that out of a church that shut down now. God called me to preach out of a church that had 15 people in it and all of them were mad and leaving. Tell me the truth. But over yonder on the backside of my daddy's pasture, when he called me, he did. He did. He put a flame in my soul that burns. I didn't put it there. I didn't ask for it. I really didn't. But it's there. And there's a knowledge that I'm going to stand before Christ one of these days. And I'll give an account of how I preached the Gospel and how I presented His glorious truth. And I can't stand before Him in good conscience saying sinners are just disadvantaged and need a hand up and they need a lift up. No, they need life. They're legally dead. They're spiritually dead. And in reality, they're eternally dead. Eternal death is the execution of the legal sentence. It's the consummation of spiritual death, Spurgeon said. Eternal death is when breath has left the body. The soul has stood before God and the books have been opened. They're judged out of the things which are recorded in the books. And then another book is opened, which is the book of life. Whosoever's name is not recorded therein is cast into the lake of fire that burns forever and ever. This is the second death, and it's eternal death. It's the extinguishing of hope. It's the abandoning of the soul. It's the realization of the reprobate. It is that soul that is eternally forever rejected by God. Cast aside beyond all hope. They go where the fires never quenched, where men gnaw their tongues for pain, where they beg for a drink of water, where nothing is heard except for the screams of the tormented and the words that echoed at the judgment of God, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. That is where you're headed this morning. It's the state that you live in, but one day the sentence will be carried out. And the only hope for that, Jesus says, is for you to come to Me that you might have life. Come to Me. Salvation is not found in a church. Salvation is not found in a movement. It's not found in a ministry. It's not found in a particular way of worship. It's really not even found in this book. It is found in who this book reveals. You can carry a King James Bible up under your arm and and quote it backwards and forwards, but unless you come to Him, you've missed the revelation of the book and you've missed life. The question is, do you have life? Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. 
What is the abundant life? It is life that conquers every layer of death under which the sinner is currently in. And the only way you're going to get it is to come to Jesus. I'd come to Him today if He was drawing me. I'd come to Him today. Thank you for letting me preach to you.